0: We've been kind of following this book called Anxious for Nothing. And uh, it's really, really, it's been really good. And I hope that this series has been blessing you. Who's enjoyed this series so far? If you've been here for the the four weeks, okay, perfect. Um, And the point, here's the point of this series. The point is not to tell you um, that anxiety is not real. um, Because it is. And the point is also not to tell you To to just stop being anxious because that's not helpful either. the The point is to tell you that there's a way for us to be anxious for nothing, a way for us to work our way outside of the prison of anxiety, right? The perpetual anxiety. We're gonna have moments of anxiety for our whole life. Something will happen. Um, things will be unforeseen and we 'll have moments of anxiety, but we don 't have to live captive to anxiety amen and so that 's what this series is about and so we 've spent a few weeks the first week we talked about having some having more faith. The next week we talked about god 's sovereignty and then we talked about god 's mercy and uh, and then last week we talked about rejoicing in the Lord always and uh, so it 's funny i 've been talking to different students and leaders, and each one of you have your different favorite week. Some of yours was week two, some of it was week four, week three or whatever, but um, it blesses my heart to hear that because it means that each week some something is, someone's getting something out of it. Amen? So this week, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to uh, take notes so you can come back and reference um, reference it, and so, here's the thing. Some of the folks in here in this room that have been experiencing the most life change uh, through um, the series and through kind of camps and youth groups and things like that, I've noticed are the folks that take notes. Why? Because they can go back to it and reinvigorate um, the kind of zeal that they had for the passage or the message or whatever was going on. So, if you're taking notes, today's message is called "Contagious Calm." Contagious calm, and this—that's just the, ch- the chapter title in this book. So, I'm just—I'm just laying it. Straight out there, pretty easy. So, if you ever buy this book and you read "Anxious for Nothing," you're gonna be like, "This sounds exactly what like what Brett preached," because it basically is. Okay, um, and that's the point because I cannot write this book better than Max Lucado, and I can't write this book better than God. So, uh, so then it's gonna be uh, God's words, and then if I'm reading all this, it's gonna be uh, Senor Lucado's words. Okay, so. And then, and then I'll spice it up in between. Sounds good? Uh, but I just want to make that clear uh, so I don't get plagiarizing or anything like that. Um, but there's a quote at the beginning of the chapter, uh, and Max Lucado writes this. He says, and this is kind of a subtitle, he says, anxiety is needless because God is near. And that's a pretty bold statement. Anxiety is needless because God is near. I don't need anxiety because God is near. Because here's the thing, anxiety sometimes, this is going to retract a lot of what I've said, but anxiety sometimes, not very often, but sometimes is good. Here's the reason why, because it's it's supposed to just be a warning sign. It's supposed to be, if I walk into a sketchy part of town, even though nothing is happening to me, there's like red flags going off in my head, like, okay, this is a little sketch. I need to be careful. My anxiety is coming up a little bit. Does that make sense? And in that situation, that's a good thing. But what happens is, is we start um, walking through life being worried about everything and thinking everyone's out to get us and everything is, the world is, the sky is falling and and it's falling disproportionately on me, right? You guys remember that? And so what happens is we, we become anxious people instead of having moments of anxiety. And so, Max Lucado says, anxiety is needless because God is near. So when we need anxiety is when we're in danger. And so what he's saying is we don't need anxiety because God is near. We don't need to feel like our soul and our mind and our emotions and everything else is in danger. Why? Because God is near. Amen? Uh, Let me tell you... Uh, a little story. I'm going to read it right out of this book because it's really good. It's a, it's kind of a war story, but it's really impactful. And it's about a man named Vasily Arkhipov. Everybody say Vasily, Vasily. bro. That's silly. Okay, Vasily Arkhipov. Uh, Arkhipov. Arkhipov. uh Danielle and I decided we're going to name our next kid Vasily, guy or girl doesn't matter. And we're going to it's going to be silly for short. Okay, um, just kidding. Okay, check this story out. This is crazy. I'm going to read it. Here we go. Disaster was close as the press of a red button. You guys ever seen that in the movie, a big red button? Don't press the red button. Okay. So disaster was as close as the press of a red button. Four Russian submarines patrolled the Florida coast. U.S. warships had dropped depth charges... The Russian captain was stressed, trigger-happy, and ready to destroy a few American cities. Each sub was armed with a nuclear warhead. Each warhead had the potential to repeat a Hiroshima-level calamity. This is a true story. This is, this is a story of... You guys ever heard about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Nagasaki in, uh, in, in school? This is a story about how that didn't happen to us. Okay? Okay? Had it not been for the contagious calm of a clear-thinking officer, World War III might have begun in 1962. His name was Vasily Arkhipov. He was the 36-year-old chief of staff for a clandestine fleet of Russian submarines. The crew members assumed they were being sent on a training mission off the Siberian coast. They came to learn that they had been commissioned to travel 5,000 miles to southwest to set up a spearhead for a base near Havana, Cuba. The subs went south, and so did their mission. In order to move quickly, the submarines traveled on the surface of the water, where they ran, in, ran head-on into Hurricane Daisy. The 50-foot waves left the men nauseated and operating systems compromised. Can you imagine being in a submarine, like, w- feeling nauseous? Like there's no windows. It, it's like a it's just a tube, and then you're just puking everywhere. Blah. And uh, um, you guys know Big Sarge, Matt Lawson. He tells me the story one time he was on this boat, and it's not a submarine, but it's a boat nonetheless that doesn't have a bunch of windows and stuff. It's not a cruise ship. It's just a it's just a boat. And he said that one time they went, uh, they were off the boat, like just kind of hanging out in in where they were at, and then they came back and everybody had food poisoning at the same time. So then he said then he said and the plumbing wasn't working. So then they're they're in this bathroom and if you ever been in like a ship, like a navy ship, they have um it's like the floor and then there's like in each doorway you have to step over uh like the door frame. Does that make sense? You guys seen that? So it's about this high off the ground. So you gotta step through it. So he was saying that everyone is puking so much that it was like three inches of puke layered on the floor because it was held in by the, by the door frames. So you just walk in to go to the bathroom. It's disgusting. Anyway, so there's, there's a picture painted for you. Um, so this happened. So they, they hit this hurricane, and so they're all nauseous, thrown up. This is 1962. Then came the warm waters, and Soviet subs were designed for polar waters, not the tropical Atlantic. So temperatures inside the vessels exceeded 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so you're nauseous, you're throwing up everywhere, and it's 120 degrees plus inside a metal tube. So you might be a little irritable, right? Some people are like, "Dude, I'm getting sick right now." Stop. Okay. The crew battled the heat and claustrophobia for much of the three-week journey. Three weeks. By the time they were near the coast of Cuba, the men were exhausted, on edge, and anxious. The situation worsened when the subs received cryptic instructions from Moscow to turn northward and patrol the coastline of Florida. Soon after they entered American waters, their radar picked up the signal of a dozen ships and aircraft. The Russians were being followed by the Americans. The U.S. ships set off depth charges. and The Russians assumed they were under attack. So Russians come into American waters. Americans start following. They set off depth charges. So then the Russians think that they're under attack now. Everything is at a boiling point. The captain lost his cool. He summoned his staff... To his command post, and pounded the table with his fist, and said, we're going to blast them now. We will die, but we will sink them all. We will not disgrace our navy. Sounds like a Russian thing to say. We're going to blast them now. Okay, anyways, we will die, but anyways, I don't know how he says it. We'll not disgrace our navy. Okay, anyways, that was like four different uh, accents right there, but you got the picture. Okay, so the world was teetering on the edge of war. At this moment, There was about to be destruction on the coast of Florida in in the States, the size of Hiroshima, potentially. But then Vasily Arkhipov, Vasily, our boy, all right. Vasily Arkhipov asks for a moment with his captain. He said, hey, yo, hey, yo, Cap. He said, can I get a moment? Can we talk for a second? He said, We will not disgrace Russia for Mother Russia. Okay, anyways. So then, the two men stepped to the side. He urged his superior to reconsider. He suggested they talk to the Americans before reacting. It's like a very Russian thing to do. Just talk about it, you know. Um, That was a joke. Okay, so, the captain listened. And his anger cooled, and he gave the order for the vessels to surface. The Americans encircled the Russians and kept them under surveillance. What they intended to do is unclear, as in a couple of days, the Soviets dove, eluded the Americans and made it back home safely. The incredible brush with death was kept secret for decades, and Arkhipov deserved a medal, yet he lived the rest of his life with no recognition. It was not until 2002 that the public learned of the barely avoided catastrophe. As the director of the National Security Archive stated, the lesson from this event is that a guy named Vasily Arkhipov saved the world. So what's the point? Is that contagious calm can save a really intense situation from getting worse. So these these Russian ships were just were, they were just they weren't intending to do anything or at least we don't really know but they it didn't seem like they were they were just patrolling they were just moving from from Cuba up the coast and then they were gonna go back home and at this point the Americans came and were like whoa whoa this is I mean you see Russian submarines off the coast you're gonna be a little freaked out so they send depth charges to kind of you know, hey, get out of here type of a thing. And then they think they're under attack and so and they had nuclear missiles or warheads or whatever you would call them on their ships, ready to just shoot towards land. And the superior, the 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 commanding officer, the captain was ready to do it. He said, "Let's get let's let's load up, let's get ready. We're going to blast these fools away." And this would have been a story that we would all hear about. You know how big the story of Pearl Harbor is? You guys have all heard that. It would be bigger than that. This would have been massive. And and World War III would have taken place, and the world would have been basically in shambles. And all of that didn't happen because one guy was like, hey, let's cool off a little bit. Let's talk. Let's see what's going on. And so the point of that story is that we have that ability in ourselves And we've all been there when things seem to be worse than they are. Does she not like me? She hasn't even looked at me in three days, you know. It always seems to boil over when things are like, like in the submarine. It's hot. I'm tired. I don't feel good. I'm at summer camp. You know, whatever it is. And it's like... Dude, I was on the basketball court, and Ken threw a ball, and it hit me in the back of the head. I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose. Like, Pastor Brett, do you think we should fight him? Like, whoa, no. But, like, say when. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, ha- we have these moments where, you guys ever been there, where you're, like, at your breaking point. You're like, they- they're, they're out to get me, right? Or this teacher. I can't get an A to save my life in this class. This teacher just hates me, you know? It's probably because I'm so good looking or something. I don't know. Just kidding. It's probably because they're colorblind and I always wear blue shirts, you know. And it's like, just kidding. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But basically, we've all been there. We've all been there to this breaking point. And sometimes we've been like the captain where we just send the missiles and just blow up. Just ah, just yell at our parents or yell at our friends or yell at somebody and just explode. And a hypothetical, like World War III, happens for a moment in this relationship. Instead of if we could have been in the moment where we had a contagious calm, where it was like, oh, "Okay, I don't think that's what they meant." I don't, I don't think they're really out to get me. Maybe I should just go talk to them, pull them aside. Hey, so I've been feeling this way, and I don't know if you're meaning to make me feel that way or not. Uh, but I just want, you know, I just want to clear it up. You know, and it doesn't have to be confrontational. Hey. You even make me feel like dirt, okay? And this has to stop right now. You know, that's for all the guys. Guys do that. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sassy. I'm pretty dramatic. So, but we, but it, but we have a moment of calm where we just try to address the situation, right? And when we do that, we we avoid these big catastrophic fallouts, where it's like, oh, you go to school the next day. Oh, And you're like, whoa, what's up with this person? They're not my friend anymore. You know, you ever had that one? They're not my friend anymore. We're not friends. That's my ex best friend. Anybody ever had an ex best friend? Dang, that's my ex. What? My ex best friend. You know, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Um, come on. You know, we got ex boyfriends and girlfriends and best friends. Like, there's so many exes. You know what I mean? Like, come on. What is this, Wakanda? Let's like, come on. But listen, when we don't have a check system for our anxiety, destruction can happen. When we don't have a checks and balances for our own nuclear warhead system, crazy stuff can happen. When you calm yourself and you think through something, you make better decisions every time. I preached a message on this in in the big church uh, a couple months ago where if you learn to respond rather than just react, you 100% of the time make a better decision. If someone's like, hey, we should go um, do this real quick. We should go like, uh, you know, like jump off that bridge into the the, uh, river and it's it's super safe. It's like super deep and stuff and whatever. You're like, yeah, let's do it. Ah," Right? Or if you're like, wait a second, uh, let's think this through, right? And you go and test the water, whatever. And then if you want to do it, you know, talk to your parents. But when you respond, when you take your time, you make a better decision, right? Or it's like even when it's heated in the moment, your parent is like, I'm so frustrated with you. And you're like, and you have all these things in your head that you've been listing for the last three years. Oh, you're mad at me. Oh, right? And you're like, let's go. You're like, well, that's crazy, mom, because uh, I saw you last weekend. You know, whatever. And you're like, oh, snap. You know, stop. Kill. right? Chill, man. Chill. So instead of reacting, you need to be like, you know, respond. Mom, I understand you're mad at me. I'm sorry. Whatever it is. Okay? But this is a this is a constant battle. And you're wondering, like, wait, I kind of, like, want to yell at my mom. <laughs> like, I kind of want to yell at my friends when they're wrong. Like, I've been thinking about this comeback for three years, Brett. Let me say it, you know. But the point is, is that we, we sometimes ruin, like, really good relationships because of this. We sometimes ruin relationships with ourselves. And here's the thing. Well, it's not always just with somebody else. It might be with us. You do something dumb, and you're like, I can't take myself anymore, right? And you're just so mad. And you're like, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. You know? Just throw something and break the mirror. Ah, oh, it's super dramatic. It's like a movie. And then this dramatic music starts playing it. You're like, you know? It's this big crying scene now. But we can avoid those types of things where we can avoid tearing ourselves down. We can avoid Burning bridges with friends and family and, and, and burning bridges between us and God if we just take a moment to calm down, to breathe. And what we talked about in like the first couple weeks is that our, our goal for, our, our goal to fight anxiety is for that, is for us to just take a breath again, just to be able to breathe. When you're perpetually anxious, you just feel like you can't catch your breath. And so the point of being able to breathe is so that you can respond. Because if you've ever been in, out, out in the ocean and you're swimming the waves are just coming and coming and coming, you can't really take time to be like, okay, let me think. Hmm. Okay, you know. <laughs> right? You're just in this moment where you're like, ah, 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 you know, and you're freaking out. But actually, the right thing to do, which seems counterintuitive, is just to chill out. If the waves are too much, the point is not to keep trying to get up to the surface. Just relax. And eventually it'll pass. And you'll have more of your breath that way. And then you get up and you can breathe. (sighs) All right, I'm good. But like I said, this is a constant battle. And this has been a battle for me. Uh, Most of you didn't know me when I was in high school. Some of you did. Um, but even early high school and like junior high i had i had some pretty in, um intense like anger issues um not where i was just angry all the time but it was really quick to get me angry and then it, it was really bad and so i was i was getting in fights all the time and yelling getting in trouble yelling at my parents and yelling at my friends and stuff and just like just not having a good time right and i was always one of those people thinking about okay what's a good comeback for this person oh oh okay yeah oh, oh, I noticed they have a mole on their back. I'm going to talk about that, you know? (laughs) You're like, what is that, a thumbtack on your back? You know? Whatever. But anyway, so this has been a journey for me where my peace was constantly disrupted. I was constantly angry and anxious and stressed and, oh. I can't stand it, and and I was like mad because I, you know, I think a girl's cute, and I start talking to her, and then something stupid would happen. I'm like, I want to kill somebody, right? And I like, I was at church. I was finally, I was like, fine, I'll just like, I'll just hang out with a church girl, you know. So we were in, the, I was in this student leadership program, this internship, and I, and I like this girl. We start talking and stuff, and then the pastor's nephew starts flirting with my girlfriend, you know, and I was like, oh, I hate my life, you know, I was just like, I almost beat that kid up at youth group, you know, and you're like, and now I'm a youth pastor, so um, I did beat a kid up at youth group one time, but anyways, that's, that's for another time. Um, it's just a story that God redeems, okay, but here's the thing, so this has been a journey for me, especially when we moved down here, we moved down here, and I was like, you know what, I'm changing everything, you know, I'm done trying to like, you know, be in the dating scene or whatever. I'm 16 anyways. Like, it's not like anything's happening anytime soon. So, like, I'm just going to chill out, you know, play, play sports, and then and I'm going to serve at the church. And, I, and so I decided I was going to be on the worship team. And Pastor Jeff was uh, my youth pastor, and I was just trying to be faithful and serve. And, 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 and I, my goal was to find peace. My goal was to be a, a person of peace, to be a calm person. I, my, and so my goal in life, one of my goals in life is for that. If people describe me, they'd describe me as someone who's pretty calm. Pretty has 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 a kind of a peaceful aura to it. Like I, I I like I want that because it's the exact opposite of who I used to be. And so this is what I'm all about. If you ever come over to my house and you get me talking, I start talking about how Danielle and I want our house to be a place of peace and a place of calm and where it's not all chaotic and stressful or whatever. But it's it's a journey and it and it takes and and some of you have seen me through the years and I've and I'm not perfect and I've had. Even when I'm like leading worship or whatever in the band, and we're in practice. I've had moments where I'm like oh, I get mad and I yell at somebody, and they're like, "Whoa, Brad, chill," you know. And so it's a constant thing that I'm that I'm working on, but I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it. But it's taken years and years and years, so it's it, it's rough. But Philippians four five through six, can we throw that back up. This is kind of our um, our scripture that we've been working through. Uh, it says, "Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone." To who? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the gentleness or the reasonableness that's used here, it says gentleness in other translations. But that word in Greek is this super uh, cool word that I don't know how to pronounce, okay? It's like a, a pecus or something like that, okay? Um... Anyways, that doesn't matter. What it means, though, it describes a temperament that is seasoned and mature. So when when you read it in your Bible, it says gentleness, or it says reasonableness, or there's other words that describe it. What they're meaning is is a temperament that's seasoned and mature. And you're thinking, like, Brett, I'm 12, dude. <laughs> How am I supposed to be mature? But I, I'm a strong believer that maturity does come over time. But I've met some really, really not mature adults. And I've met some really, really mature kids. And so I believe that maturity is more of a choice than it is just eventually growing up. I believe each each and every one of you can have a temperament that is seasoned and mature. Right? Right? But it's interesting, Is in this first part it says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. And so that portion right there where it says made known to everyone, or in other places it says evident to all. This means that it's not selective. Being uptight or upset about everything will not bring you peace. If you're like, okay, well I'll be nice, I'll be calm to the people that I... Uh, that I respect. That's not how it works, right? We, we we could be calm, we could be peaceful to all, right? And it and it's made known to everybody. And that's like I said, that's been my kind of my goal. Is like I was known as the kid who was kind of ready, ready for a fight at all times, super angry, just whatever. And now and now I'm trying to be the person who's like, hey man, if you need to like chill out, go hang out with Brett for a day. Cause he walks super slow, he drives super slow, he likes to talk super slow. I'll talk to you for three hours, and we'll talk about like three things in those three hours, but just over, right. But I, I've had to slow it down. The goal is to be described as a calm or a peaceful person, right? And this is taking it a step forward of even just, of just Dropping off our anxiety. This is taking it a step past that. So once we once we figure out how to kind of walk away from our perpetual anxiety, now we take a step forward. We don't just stop there. We, we keep moving towards trying to be a person of contagious calm. The type of person that reminds others around you that, hey, you know what, God's in control and it's going to be okay. Someone comes to you freaking out about something, and you're not the person who freaks out with them. You guys ever had that? Someone comes, comes up to you and it's just, ah, 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 and you're like, what happened? And they tell you, and you're like, oh my God! Ah! And, then, and then someone else comes over and you're like, what happened? You tell them, oh my God! And it's like six of you just running around like chickens with your heads cut off, right? Someone in that group needs to be like, hey, everybody, relax. Let's think about this. You could be a person with contagious calm not a person who contracts anxiety. Does that make sense? Cuz anxiety is contagious. I should have named this message super spreader and we're going to be spreaders of calm. I'm just kidding. Too soon. Okay. Um <laughs> But then but then here's the question is like why? Why Why or how? Why or how can I be calm? (laughs) Why should I be calm? Why The world is crazy, Brett. Open your eyes, man. Stop being ignorant. You know, whatever. I don't know what you guys are thinking right now. but It's like, how can I be calm? Or why? And the reason is because the Lord is near. Or when I read the scripture, it said, what did it say? Go back. It's a different one. The Lord is at hand. Okay, go back to the Lord is near. So the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near, or, or in some, even in some uh, translation it says that Jesus is coming soon. But the point is, is, is that wherever we're at in life, we're not far from God. E- even that we're not far from God physically, that, God's gonna come, that Jesus is going to come back one day. But the point is that, and if you went to summer camp, you heard it um, from Pastor Julian Lowe. He was talking about how it's not about us getting closer to God. It's about us recognizing that God is close and then just opening ourselves up to that. Because God's never like, hey, yo, dog, I'm going to give you your space. (laughs) God might be silent in a moment because you don't want to hear from him, but he's right there. God constantly says to people in the Bible, if we read the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, God constantly says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. This happens to Abraham in Genesis 15, happens to Hagar in Genesis 21, and Isaac in Genesis 26, and Joshua in Joshua 1 9. God is constantly saying, Do not be afraid, or be strong and courageous. It's the same message, and the in the reason that he always states is because I am with you, because I am near. And it's the same thing for us. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be stressed. Why? Because God is near. Amen? And when Jesus comes to town in the New Testament, he's to be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So the point is, God's not just watching you from a distance. He's not up in the sky somewhere, like, just like, oh, Yeah, they seem to be doing pretty good. God is actively moving in your life. God is actively with you, step by step, hand in hand. Psalms 118.6. Can we throw that up on the screen? The Lord is on my side, David writes. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's a pretty bold statement. He says... The Lord is on my side. I, I, I cannot fear. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He said, if God is with me, and we see this reprised in the New Testament, if God is for me, then who can be against me? The point is that if I've got God on my side, then what do I have to worry about? It's like the story of feeding the 5,000. Which happens in John 6, Matthew 14. But it's an example of Jesus caring for you even in the simple things. And this is the reason I want to say this. is because Jesus doesn't just come to your rescue like Spider-Man when you're just so close to death. Like Andrew Garfield coming down and saving MJ right before she... And everyone cried in the theater. Oh, yeah. He saved his MJ. It wasn't even his MJ. It was his. Oh, you yeah. know? But, but Jesus isn't like that. Jesus isn't just swooping in when you're about to die. And If you've ever read the, or heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, it's getting dark. We should send these people back home so they, they can eat. So the problem was not that they weren't going to eat. The problem was that Jesus wanted to be hospitable, that Jesus wanted to feed them. It wasn't a necessity. They had food at home. So Jesus said, "No, why don't you feed them?" They're like, "Well, God, there's like twenty thousand people here, like, because it was just five thousand men with their families, and oh, you get the point." So Jesus says, "Why don't you feed them?" So this isn't like this isn't like Spider Man swooping in to save you because you're about to die and fall on your head. God isn't just around when, I need you the most, and he's there when you need him. God, and we cry out to God, and we beg for mercy, and God is always there. But God's there when everything's cool, too. God's there when you could have just gone home and got something to eat. He's like, no, I'd love to feed you. Right? Jesus didn't have to feed those people. He wanted to. Here's the thing that's going to take this further, though. We can be calm knowing God's near, but when we live a life that is calm, our calmness can be contagious. Jesus, in the face of 20,000 hungry people and his 12 disciples, decided that he was going to take care of the situation. And you know what's funny about this story is that Jesus actually created the anxiety. So the disciples said, hey, God, uh, Jesus, it's kind of getting dark. Um, we should probably send these people home so they get something to eat. Sounds good? We good? We can clock out? And uh, Jesus is like, "Nah, we're going to feed them. And then, boom, anxiety. Jesus, there's 20,000 people here. Right? Imagine, like, us go to youth convention. There's, like, 3,000 kids there. And I'm like, hey, guys, we're going to feed everybody here. And you're like, Brett, we don't have any food or money or <laughs> anything, man. My parents give me be 20 bucks for the whole week, you know. But I'm like, hey, we're going to do it, you know. But I wouldn't be able. I'm not Jesus. So... <laughs> um, but Jesus says, hey, we're going to feed them. So Jesus creates this scenario where the disciples are freaking out, and the 20,000 people are like, um, what? You're gonna- okay, you know, you're going to feed us? Sounds good. But Jesus creates this scenario, but what happens is Jesus is calm, is contagious, just like, the, just like the food got passed and multiplied and multiplied, and they had 12 baskets left over because Jesus had contagious calm. Amen? The people around him felt at peace because Jesus was there. It's like when the disciples were in the storm, That who did they go to? Jesus. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus can fix this. And Jesus was upset that they didn't think they could fix it because they have faith too, right? But like the disciples, so we can, we can, be, we can be anxious in a moment or we can be kind of like Jesus in that moment where we have contagious calm. But more often than not, we fall back and, and become more like the disciples, We can sometimes look at what we don't have instead of what we do have. Jesus says, let's feed these 20,000 people. And the disciples say, yeah, dog, we don't have money for that or food for that. And Jesus says, you're forgetting what you do have. You have me. Jesus, literal God in flesh, is standing right there. And they're like... "Um, Yo, dog, we don't have enough food or money, you know. When Jesus had already healed lepers, Jesus had already turned water into wine, Jesus had already walked on water, Jesus had already calmed the storm, all these types of things. Jesus had already done all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, um, that's crazy because we don't have enough food. He's like, are you, you know. That's what I understand. Like, Jesus, in his moments, he's like, do you have no faith? You know, he's like, are you dumb? You know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But. I get frustrated too. He's like, dude, you don't know what you, you're thinking about what you don't have. You have me, right? And we get in the same way. We already have Jesus. When you're facing stress, when you're facing anxiety, and you think the world is crumbling around you, when you think the sky is falling and it's disproportionately falling on you, you constantly think about what I don't have. Well, I don't have the best friend I used to have. I don't have the grades I should have. I don't have parents that really support me. I don't have blah, 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 blah. I don't have a good job. I don't have, I didn't get into the college I wanted to. You name it, right? But what you don't have doesn't matter. What you do have does. And so in all those moments, instead of saying, I don't have this, I don't have this, and my life's falling apart, and this is happening to me, you could simply stop in the moment and say, it feels like I have nothing, but I have Jesus. And because I have Jesus, I have enough. I don't need anything else but Jesus. The pursuit of anxiety management is tough work, but like I said in week one, we're never going to get rid of anxiety completely, but we can be freed from it. We can be freed from the bondage of anxiety. But we have to turn to Jesus every time. Sometimes it happens fast, where you're like, wow, I don't feel anxious anymore. Sometimes it happens slow, and Jesus is just working on our patience. He's just going to work with us, and it's just going to be a process. It's just going to happen. But Jesus has contagious calm that's more contagious than anxiety. Max Lucado ends this chapter with a quote that I thought was really good. And he says, Contagious calm will happen to the degree that we turn to him. If we want to be people of contagious calm, where we can be like Vasily in that moment where the world might Come to an end at this very moment and just be like, hey, let's take a breath. The more we're capable of doing that is directly related to how much we turn to Jesus. Because I'll catch the contagious calm from him. Amen? So let's pray real quick. I'm not going to end with a fancy altar call or anything. I just want to pray over you. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, we love you. God, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Your peace, God, that surpasses all understanding. And God, knowing that if you're for us, who could be against us? And so God, as we walk through life and as we walk through tough scenarios and as we walk down this journey of trying to just be freed from our anxiety, God, help us to know that the more we recognize that you're close and the more we just turn to you, the more that we'll catch your contagious calm. And the more that we can be people of contagious calm. So God, we just pray for peace this week. Peace over every student in this room, God. Peace over every leader in this room. God, as we walk through our lives, and even as things seem to be falling apart, we stop for a second, we look to Jesus, and we say, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you're going to. Jesus, I know we don't have enough, but you're enough. Jesus, I don't think I can make this on my own, so I need you. So God, help us to turn to you this week and catch your contagious call. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, you can give it up. That's, um, that's it for... Um, Tonight, uh, hey, don't forget, if you didn't sign up for um, the conference night on Saturday, uh, go ahead and do that. Um, But, hey, I love you guys, and I'm praying for you this week that you're going to just find so much peace in all sorts of scenarios. And next week is going to be great. Uh, Ben's going to preach the message next week. It's going to be awesome. So bring all your friends, bring everybody out, because Ben's going to preach it way better than I would. And so it's going to be so, so uh, good.